the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. Have a big event coming up Thursday evening, Income and Retirement Planning Seminar with CFP Chad Burton at newfocusfinancial.com. You can sign up for it at newfocusfinancial.com. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. Mr. Burton, how are you? Doing well. Doing well. Um, in the 10 Pillars event, you go over the cost of retirement, which kind of is an odd concept because most of us aren't there, and it's kind of a projection that we have to make. Big reduction in oil costs recently have helped offset the lack of income on bonds and CDs. What's, uh, how does this tie into income in retirement? Well, it, it, you know, the, I think the question is, has the um, you know, oil reduction, the, the, we've, we've got lower oil prices, I think we've kind of hit the point where gasoline prices aren't going to get a heck of a lot cheaper just because of the refining situation. So has that helped offset the cost of retirement at all? And, and the, the idea that CDs aren't paying a lot, uh, bonds are at the lowest rate since I've been in the business in terms of income, CDs as well. Um, and, and maybe the only place that it's really helped offset some of the cost for retirees is in, in travel. So if part of your budget and retirement includes travel. Part of your budget includes um, maybe the RV thing, which I think I'll probably do for a while after I retire if I ever do. Um, maybe, yeah. Yeah, it, it's could. But for the average person, it hasn't really. Um, unless you're doing a lot of travel and that's part of your budget. But I think a lot of people don't really sit down and say, what does retirement cost? Because the idea of retirement is to do the things that you enjoy. And I think there's too many people that are retiring too early thinking that they can still pull, you know, 5 6% of their portfolio. And that was, you know, even 4% for a lot of people is going to be rough in the next 10 years because interest rates are so low, Rob. So people really need to go back and say, what's the cost of retirement um, uh, in, until interest rates return to the same level? You have to be very careful on what you're doing in terms of your withdrawals, and you have to rebalance your portfolio a little bit more often. 
Yeah, I think I want to do the RV thing too, but again, I still, I keep coming back to the idea, Chad, and we'll talk about this uh, Thursday night, is I don't know what my budget's going to be because I've never done that. It's like going to Europe for the first time. You're like, I'm going to live off $20 a day. And then you go there and you're like, no, I'm going to live off 40 kind of thing. And then, I don't know, I don't know if that concept freaks you out as much as it freaks me out, but it's definitely in my head. area where, I mean, the travel in terms of the currency exchange rates, I mean, people that, you know, if they, part of their retirement budget is the trips to Europe and things like that, uh, maybe consolidating that into the next couple of years because currencies have been slow. Right now we've got a very strong dollar. Um, I remember when my mom took her dream trip to Europe, it was at the worst possible point between the dollar and the euro. It was the most expensive time to go. Um, and this has been, I don't know, what's it been, about 10, 12 years now? And it it would be a cheaper trip for her now, 10 years later, than it was then because of the currency exchange rates. So first, do your budget. Make sure you can afford it. And then realize that currencies change all the time. It's not going to be a strong dollar world forever. Eventually, um, we could see a reversal of that. So besides the bond alternatives that you mentioned yesterday, what else can be done to offset low income from bonds and CDs? Well, you know, one approach is to say, okay, I'm, I'm, I realize how the market works, get a little bit more educated on stocks and bonds, and that um, the mistakes are made when people panic on the downside and that stocks are volatile. Because a lot of people have gone a little bit more out on risk than they probably can handle. Um, that's what I'm seeing that's when people are coming in with portfolios to review. They don't realize how much risk is in their portfolio, which can be okay as long as you have a rebalancing strategy and a longer-term holding period and that you can stomach volatility, where when you look at a correction, 10%, I'll buy some more. If it goes down another 10%, I'll look for bargains. And you can kind of take that type of mentality versus, oh, my gosh, it's going to zero. It's the next you know credit crisis and you know, we're we're going to be trading gold and bullets and gasoline, which is what some people tend to do. Um, so if you go a little bit longer on the risk curve, you have to be able to stomach volatility because stocks have uh, de- with decent dividends and, and growing dividends. I'm not talking about five, six percent yielders that turn down when interest rates tick up slightly. I'm talking about good quality stocks. But you have to rebalance your portfolio. That's one way to do it. But a lot of retirees can't handle more risk. They can't sleep at night. So a good way, too, is to do much better detailed tax planning because right now we are in the lowest tax environment that I've ever seen for retirees because there's actually a zero and a 10% capital gains rate. It's not just 15 across the board. If you plan it right, you can qualify lower, and then um, you can take out quite a bit of income from IRAs these days and still stay at 15% depending on your deduction. So for some people, it's really a good idea to start drawing a little bit from their IRAs. For some people, it's better to pull off and really, if they have a lot of low-cost basis stock, and sell that in chunks to maintain a very low tax bracket. So very detailed projections on your taxes and withdrawals. Um, also, maximizing Social Security is huge, Rob. If you can, hold off until you're 70 to take it. And for those that are kind of struggling in retirement, um, even if they have to do something like a reverse mortgage from 66 to 70 to have something to live off of until they get to 70 where they take their higher Social Security. And you say, well, I'm not very healthy. I'll take it now. But what about your spouse? If you pass away, the spouse keeps the higher check. So it's really important to maximize Social Security. And consider reverse mortgage. If you're looking out in your financial plan, you're like, oh, man, I'm running out of money when I'm 85, 90 years old. I could live till I'm 110. Uh, do the reverse mortgage now. Well, property values are high. Why they still exist? 
So tomorrow night, not tomorrow night, excuse me, Thursday night, we're doing the income planning event together in Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge. Um, you and I kind of run this thing. You run the majority of it. Michelle Lerman shows up, talks a little bit about wealth uh, preservation through legacy planning. Uh, you're going to talk tax-efficient investing. People could sign up for the event in, in Palo Alto, 630 to 9, 10 Pillars of Retirement Income Planning. It's the Elks Lodge in Palo Alto. Super easy to get to, super easy parking. Can't say that about a lot of venues in the Bay Area. Um, anything else that we need to know about the event that uh, you want to chime in with in about a minute and a half? Yeah, I mean, I've kind of narrowed this down as to the 10 key things that if you're thinking about retirement, you really have to know about these 10 key items in order to say, yep, I'm ready to retire. Um, if you're in retirement and you think you had a plan, kind of these low rates and, um, you know, kind of a flat market for 2015, if that's really derailed your plan, then you really didn't have a plan. you got to have a plan for good good markets and bad markets. Um, we'll talk about, in terms of tax-efficient investing that you mentioned, um, that, you know, just kind of the basics around that is I like really uh, in your taxable accounts, I like good um, dividend achiever stocks and California tax-free bonds. I like kind of the intermediate term bonds, Rob, but a little better than the shorter term because the real mm-hmm. short duration bonds are the ones that are negatively affected when the Feds raise interest rates. Um, Long term bonds have more interest rate sensitivity, so I like it kind of right in the middle. Sounds good. It's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. There's a lot of good downloadables there. There's a quiz that you can take to figure out what your risk profile is. Um, there's more information you can download a little bit on the 10 Pillars of Retirement Income Planning, the actual document that everything's based off of. You can sign up for the event. It's Thursday evening, 630 to 9, 10 Pillars of Retirement Income Planning. Palo Alto, um, good chance to get to meet you know the gang or the team, so to speak. You do want kind of a team approach in your head to how you handle money when you get wealthy. And income in your time, couldn't ask for a more important topic. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me at robblackshow.com. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Big event, the 10 Pillars of Retirement Income Planning Seminar. Thursday evening, 6.30 to 9 in Palo Alto. You can sign up for the event at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Joining me now to talk a little bit about her role in the event, Michelle Lerman from, you can find her at lermanlaw.com, lermanlaw.com. Um, how are you, Michelle? Great, thanks. Um, let's talk about some of the things that you look at and you're going to be talking about. Is And this is one that I, th- I think none of us do. It's the retirement account beneficiary designation forms. We don't think much about it when we're doing our paperwork tied towards our demise. Right. Well, the retirement plans are not governed by a will or a trust. And so very often someone will prepare a full estate plan and then someone passes and the plan is a mess. 
And they didn't realize that the living trust and the will doesn't cover everything. It does not cover retirement plans. You were highlighting a recent case that's critical to name your intended beneficiaries on your IRA beneficiary designation form. Um, why is this important? And, and give us some lessons of people making mistakes. Right. Well, the case I was I was referring to is a man decided that on his beneficiary designation form that he would name his son, but he had three kids, and he told his son that when I pass, I want you to give a third of this to each of your other siblings. There were there were three kids total. So the man passed away. Everything went to the son because that's what the beneficiary designation form on the on the IRA provided for. And so then the son, like a good son, he passed it on and wrote checks to his two siblings. The problem was that the IRS says, you know what? You are the one named on the retirement account. You are subject to 100% of the income taxes on that retirement account, even though he wrote a check for two-thirds of it to his siblings. So it created a big tax problem because instead of just naming the three kids on the beneficiary designation form, the dad gave these verbal instructions, and it caused a big problem, a big tax problem. I'm running into, I would say, more complicated issues with friends and family and people that I know, uh, people dropping me emails from my position on the show, where th- when they hit you know, an, a certain age, their mom and dad, you know, in this case, it's just the, um, the dad that's left. You know, he says, here's what my estate's worth. Um, here's what your inheritance is going to be to the three kids. And two of the kids say, I'll take it now. And they're kind of draining his, his rainy day fund, or they're kind of taking their inheritance before he's dead, and now he's being put into a home, and the the, the third person, third sibling, isn't going to get an inheritance, but two of them did. How would you avoid a situation where, you know, someone's kind of a little bit incapacitated, needs to be put in a nursing home, uh, two of the siblings want the money now, the, the, the trailer that the person was in is, is being sold, it's, it's, it's messy out there. Wow. I actually see that a lot. And you, first of all, you have to be careful when you name your kids. I hate to say this, but you can't always just automatically name kids as the person in charge of your money because if they're also the ones getting it in situations like what you described, there's just this inherent conflict. Do I spend less on dad so that I can have more? So I hate to be cynical, but you can't always just name your kids as as being in charge of the money. And there really needs to be sometimes this independent person. There's private fiduciaries. Those are individuals that are paid, they're licensed, they're bonded, and they will act as your person in charge to make all the financial decisions and make sure that your needs come first, not not the kids' needs. You can't you're not entitled to an inheritance and the kids can't expect to get something before before mom or dad passes. And yet I'm seeing it more and more and more. And there's some bad blood about it. And there's also some people yeah. who are just generous. Some people are just generous and say, go ahead, take, take what you're going to get. Um, and that's a mistake in my world. So the way I see it. It is. It really is. The other thing is just proper planning. I would say long-term care insurance, looking into that, making sure that your needs are, are taken care of. 
in this case, that's not even close to appropriate because there's just not that much right. money. Um, Got it. It's too late to it's too late to do when you're like 75 mm-hmm. plus years old. Um, well, it's not too late, but it's just it's not going to be you know uh, cost effective. Speaking with Michelle Lerman, you can find her at LermanLaw.com. It's LermanLaw.com. She will be at the event coming up, the Ten Pillars of Retirement Income Planning Seminar in Palo Alto, six thirty to nine. Good chance to get you know a little legal advice on the side, as well as to hear her insights into what she's going to be talking about with legacies and other issues tied towards income planning. What are digital assets? I've heard a little bit more about this. Um, you know, someone passes away and they don't give away their passwords per se. Um, yeah. There could be some significant, there could be some significant issues. Yeah. So digital assets are assets that are kept electronically. So it's anything of value that you have on your on your phone, on your computer, on your on your iPad, and those assets can be significant. They can be all of your family photos. They can be all of your emails, videos. There's and that's, so that's what we refer to as as digital assets. I mean, something like a Facebook account that that would be a digital asset. I don't. I don't know how I feel about my Facebook account because I don't really do much with it, so I don't see it as an asset. Mm-hmm. But I could see people fighting over silly things like that, especially like my music collection, which you know no one downloads and pays for iTunes anymore. But I did at one point in time. That's going to be a couple thousand plus dollars there, right? Yep, definitely. And in terms of the Facebook account, I mean, the Facebook account is so personal, and so the question is. What would you want to happen to it when you pass away? I mean, I've seen beautiful Facebook accounts where when someone passes, it turns into this amazing memorial. But in order for that to happen and people writing on it, and there's got to be someone alive that's taking charge of the Facebook account. But Facebook actually allows you to choose a legacy contract. A lot of people don't know that. Someone that if something happens to you, you go into your Facebook account and go to security settings and click legacy contract, and you can actually name someone to manage your account and tell them, give instructions right there. Do you want your account closed? Do you want this person to be able to keep your account open? And so that can really be a beautiful thing in terms of leaving a legacy. Thanks very much. It's Michelle Lerman. Come meet her Thursday evening at the Ten Pillars Retirement Income Planning Seminar. She's an estate planning attorney. She does great work. Um, Talking about recent rulings, talking about laws, if you haven't updated your trust in three or four years, you're probably way behind. Um, If you have a home in California, you should get a trust, period. So that's what she does for a living, and uh, she can help talk about how to save taxes when you die. Insult to injury, you die. They also take your money. So you want to be pretty tax efficient about that, especially if you have heirs that you care about. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. You can find me at robblackshow.com. You can find her at michellelerman.com. You can sign up for the 10 Pillars event at newfocusfinancial.com. We know we're coming. If so, if so, we know we'll be coming. If so. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now. 
back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. You fell asleep in my car. I drove the it's time to get educated on the market. It's Brigham Patrick O'Hare, briefing.com, chief market analyst. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, Rob. I'm doing okay. Thanks. Yourself? Doing well. Kind of hoping for Yahoo, not Yahoo, but kind of hoping for uh, January to come to an end because it's been kind of a crazy month on Wall Street, and mm-hmm. it's it's not the easiest thing to say, calm down, people, or, hey, get excited. It's this is It seems to be all about oil these days. It seems to be the number one catalyst to move us up or down. Yeah, I, you're, you know, you're right in that respect. I mean, and that was a scene in spades uh, really this morning with the movement in the uh, S&P futures and, uh, and oil prices. I mean, you know, if you had, if you just divorce yourself from oil prices for a moment and you were told that China's stock market went down 6% today, um, you probably would have thought that the SP futures might be down, you know, 30 handles or more. Um, and then, lo and behold, um, you know, despite China being down 6%, uh, the SP futures were actually trading up uh, in early New York hours. And I, and we saw a positive open, and you can see it uh, in the charts. Uh, it was related directly to the movement in oil prices as they, you know, uh, were down below $30 and then bounced back up and, and were trying to uh, push toward $31. And there was a, a clear correlation there, and, uh, and and you're right. I mean, we are seeing a real fixation on uh, on that behavior, uh, probably because there's a whole lot of stuff that's wrapped up in that, really. I mean, when you think about... Uh, the trajectory of oil and what it could potentially mean for earnings estimates for the energy sector, uh, what it might imply about uh, end demand, and then in turn what it might imply about uh, global economic growth. And obviously all of those things have been coming down. <laughs> so when we see oil prices turn up, uh, the market uh, is somewhat hopeful that perhaps the bottom is in with respect to all of those things. Uh, and it can start feeling better about uh, market conditions. But that's still a pretty iffy proposition right now because of, um, you know, a lot of unanswered questions at the moment. Are we going to get some of the answers to the questions during earnings season? Because taking a look at your page one this morning, uh, Procter & Gamble, DuPont, Johnson & Johnson, 3M, Dover, Sprint, Freeport, Macaran, Corning, Packaging, um, they all – beat analyst expectations, probably lowered expectations, but they all beat. So there should be some upside uh, leaning from earnings, shouldn't there be? Right. Well, I, I guess it's supposed, you know, what what answers do you really want to hear? Um, you know, if, you, if you're looking Just tell me the at truth. the headlines, you know, right, that, yeah, these were better than expected earnings, and you're right that they were better than, you know, marked down estimates, basically. Uh, on the flip side of that, uh, not one of those companies actually reported any revenue growth, right? And that's also been a bugaboo here for the market is that, uh, granted, you know, many of these are multinational companies that are feeling the effects of that strong dollar and, and the translation back home. But uh, even when you take, when you remove the currency factor, there's still either very little or no revenue growth still. Uh, and that reflects, uh, I think, the ultimate uh and demand out there that's creating a, a lack of pricing power uh, and uh, a lack of, you know, the, the type of earnings growth, the top-line-driven earnings growth that you'd like to see. And so, um, so that's not the most encouraging factor there. But uh, in the context of what we see today, those are nice headlines nonetheless because, you know, what's on tap tomorrow, right? 
we have a federal open market committee meeting that is going to be held on Wednesday, and this market is uh, seemingly very anxious to hear the Fed sound some type of dovish note um, that is going to uh, take some of the pressure off of this idea uh, that I think has been weighing on the market somewhat here in January, that the Fed uh, is inclined to stay on its tightening path, notwithstanding what's going on in the financial markets. Um, and uh, and if we don't hear or see something in the directive that gives the market the sense that the Fed is going to hold off uh, in March, it's certainly not going to do anything tomorrow, but the market wants to hear that the Fed or sense anyway that the Fed's going to hold off on raising rates in March as well. If we don't hear that, um, you know, then I'm, I'm worried that, you know, things could get ugly again in a hurry. Just off the cuff, we've had a couple beers. It's a Friday night. And we're at a bar. We're enjoying our company. Uh, how bad can things get, in your opinion? We saw things get pretty bad in 2008. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can fall into a bear market. You know, you can get down 20% plus. Um, and the uh, the concern or the uncertainty in all of this is that, you know, emotions then take over, and you really don't know kind of really how far things can go down in, in, in a certain time frame. But, uh, but you know, if you just take a step back from things, try to, you know, remove that emotion and look at things objectively here, you know, entering the year, you had a, a market that was trading with a full valuation, right? <clears throat> and that was against a backdrop of falling earnings and declining earnings estimates. Uh, and the specter of uh, the world's leading central bank, you know, raising rates and, and sounding as they, they wanted to continue to raise rates. <clears throat> uh, you throw in the, uh, the really ugly trade data. You know, that's not getting a whole lot of attention, I don't think, or certainly not giving the attention that it might be due. But, sure. you know, you have year-over declines in exports and out of China and out of Japan, out of the U.S. even. Um, so you can see fundamentally here that, you know, you're not in a great environment at the moment. And in my estimation, uh, I think this market continues to act poorly uh, or at least doesn't, you know, go to a, you know, you see those moonshots, those buy-the-dip moonshots. Uh, like we've seen in years past. I don't think you, you get those with any type of sustaining quality until you see reversal in these uh, weakening economic data points and certainly a reversal in the earnings estimates trends. Until those two things happen, uh, there's not going to be a whole lot of faith in a market multiple that has come down uh, um, you know, from the start of the year, but you still can't really have a lot of faith in that because the uh, the denominator there, the earnings, uh, are still in question and still seem to be falling. Let me throw an opinion piece at you real quick. Brian Belsky, he is chief investment strategist at BMO Capital Markets, similar to what you do. You know, sits around, looks at the markets, comes up with an understanding, helps formulate a strategy. Um, he says we're in a 20-year bull market. Is there any way that a strategist could say we're in a 20-year bull market? Because aren't things going to happen? Um, aren't curveballs going to come out of nowhere? Surprises are going to hit the market. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, right. I do have, you know, I, I think you're right. I mean, there are things that obviously we can't even see, you know, 20 minutes ahead these days, it seems like. So, um, you know, making a 20-year call, 
okay, you know, it's a it's a comforting sounding headline in the midst of this uh, what I guess he would call a, a cyclical bear market. Maybe um, I think um, I think there he was also suggesting at one point I think the S P comes down to, to 1600. I believe is part of that call, and then it rallies okay. from there within the context of a 20 year secular bull market and. You know, when I look over the next 20, 20 years, right, if I look out, I mean, there's some other big issues that are looming there that, again, don't they just kind of get tossed to the side. And, and you know, it's entitlement-ish programs, right? You know, there's going to be Social Security issues there. There's going to be the health care cost issue. There's going to be demographic issues. There's going to be uh, issues with excessive levels of government debt relative to GDP, um, maybe all of those things help keep long-term interest rates down, you know, that could support uh, potentially this idea of a secular bull market. But, um, but there's, yeah, there's, there's still, it, it's, that, that time horizon is so stretched uh, that, you know, it might be comforting sounding to hear, but I don't think you could put any real, real faith uh, in, in it coming to fruition. Um, and then if it ultimately does, it's probably just a lucky call. I follow your work religiously on a daily basis. I think you're great at what you do. We've got about a minute and a half. Anything that you want to chime in with that we haven't talked about that you think is important to see? Yeah, you know, um, I had you know one of our readers email me uh, at the end of last week, uh, and he was taking exception to the idea that, you know, um, I haven't been talking much about how positive the impact of um, low gas prices um, And you know, I responded to him is that there's there's an issue between low gas prices and what they mean for the economy and what they mean for the stock market. <clears throat> and uh, ultimately, you know, I tried to tie it back as a market analyst to why the market's not reacting better to this drop in, in fuel costs. And I said it has a lot to do with the fact that, it, you know, it, it relates to earnings. You know, and the energy sector earnings have been pummeled with this drop in fuel, and it all counts in terms of the valuation pie, and that is helping to drag down earnings and earnings estimates, and that's part of the reason why we're not seeing, I think, the market respond in a better fashion to what ostensibly is a good thing for the economy. Anything else that you want to do a tip in with real quick? Um, you know, Federal Market Open Market Committee meeting, uh, it's going to be a really big issue this week. Uh, if, if, like I said earlier, if the Fed does not come out with a dovish-sounding note, I think uh, this market could, could really sell off hard in a hurry. Uh, but if it does come through with it, then we may see this, uh, this rebound effort uh, uh, you know, continue for a little bit longer here. With the $8 trillion coming out of the market in the month of January, will there be a bleed-over effect into real estate? Because I hear a lot of commercials about how real estate always goes higher. And I just kind of want to let people know your thoughts on that real quick. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a sentiment issue. I mean, the, the, that's a, a wealth effect that's related to stock prices, um, not directly tied into, you know, the equity or the equity in, in homes. So, you know, it's a confidence factor. You know, maybe it helps banks uh, refrain from, you know, being as open to lending, uh, you know, mortgage-wise than they would have been otherwise. But it is something to watch. It's Patrick O'Hare, briefing.com.
listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. President Barack Obama caught my eye yesterday. He's proposing expanding retirement plans, and I say to that, hallelujah. There's not a lot in the world. There's not a lot in the world that I care about, but I say hallelujah to that. Um, I say thank you. I say please expand away. I think one of the biggest problems in America is going to be that people don't understand Social Security is really not a retirement plan. People don't really understand that working until you can't work anymore isn't a retirement plan. Um, What he's proposing to employer-sponsored retirement plans could help 30 million Americans have access to retirement savings. Obama's plan consists of a number of legislative proposals, which he'll outline in the 2017 budget that he's going to submit to Congress next month. They include offering tax credits to small businesses that automatically enroll employees in a 401k-style plan. I'm all about that. Requiring companies, requiring companies with existing plans to offer them to long-term part-time workers who work 500 hours a year for three years. I'm all about that. Let's be more inclusive. Let's not say that a company, I'm not going to say can get away with, because that sounds a little bit too heavy-handed, but by keeping people at part-time, even if they, over a two- to three-year period, have you know, shown a lot of loyalty, let's give those people access to retirement accounts um, and making it easier for companies to pull their retirement plans to bring down expenses through multiple employer plans. All of this, I think, is a start. I don't care how expensive it is on the government because in the end, the safety net of Social Security is not a retirement plan. It was a safety net to basically mean that gave you food and shelter, but it hasn't kept up with shelter. So, um, you know, some small businesses will worry that the administrative compliance burdens are too costly for them. Obstacles that the administration's proposals will try to address. Uh, you know, eight years ago when Clinton was running against Barack Obama, she said at one point in time, I'll make mandatory 401ks. Some countries have mandatory 401ks. We don't. How is that possible? New Zealand, teeny tiniest country in, in my eye. Yes, they have the Hobbit movies there. Wonderful, right? It's so wonderful to be a Kiwi. They have a Kiwi saver plan. Automatically, it saves for your retirement. Government's saying, you know, look, we're going to help you out, but you're going to help yourself out too. I like that. I like that. Um, Star Wars. Who is... Luke Skywalker, is he good, is he bad? Well, listen to this. Uh, Remember that stupid-looking DL-44 blaster that he had in The Empire Strikes Back? It's up for auction this week. $200,000 for a prop, a movie prop. Can you you imagine having so much money that you want a movie prop? I can't imagine. The Super Bowl. Dun-da-da-da. It's annoying the hell out of me already because I work right next to where the like Fox is setting up its little town, NFL town. Um, really difficult to get into and out of work at this point in time. Taxpayers have spent some $17 billion since 1986 on new football stadiums, and Levi's Stadium, home of Super Bowl 50, is amongst the most expensive of the bunch. 
Um, it's equipped with really cool luxury boxes, wonderful concessions, um, internet of everything kind of connectivity. Cost about $1.3 billion. $200 million that came from Santa Clara pay- taxpayers. Super Bowls infused the host city with cash. They also generate expenses. Uh, we're going to have to have more firemen. We're going to have to have more police protection. So it really doesn't pay off to host an Olympics, and it really doesn't pay off, especially if you're a small country, to host an Olympics. And it really doesn't pay off to um, host a Super Bowl. A little bit. In like a city like San Francisco, if we do a nice job of highlighting how beautiful and wonderful the city is, many people will come and visit, and that's a lovely thing. Because it's, it's a city that should be shared. The downside is I think it's going to rain, because we have this whole El Nino thing going on. Um, but the city of Glendale, Arizona, host of last year's Super Bowl, they said they got about a profit of about $13,000 from the game, which is about 18 cents per fan. Mm-hmm. So not a big home run. Um, other big stories of note today, it's earnings season. Um, Apple's going to report tonight. That's going to be a big one. Can they beat and or not? Uh, Brian Belsky says we're in a 20-year bull market. Um, I like Belsky. I've met him numerous times. Really good guy. I hate calls like this uh, because I think they do some harm. They can you know, get people a little bit too placated. He's not the only one who considers that, that there are no indications of a recession, which there are no indications of a recession in the United States right now. But typically, you don't see them coming. We are at 5% unemployment. When we start seeing unemployment creep up to 5.2, that'll be your sign. Like, hey, market. And the question is, will the market already react to that? Will you have time to say, okay, yeah, we see a recession coming? Um, the rally today worldwide came after Mario Draghi made comments that drew speculation of future monetary stimulus. So we're rallying right now still based on global weakness, and the global weakness is being fought with lower cost of money. Interesting. Michael Bloomberg versus Donald Trump. Who's going to win? Well, not who's going to win, but who's going to win the battle of the billionaires? Uh, Bloomberg's net worth is about $36.5 billion. An independent research firm calls him worth about $42.1 billion. That's the ninth richest man in America. Trump is at a mere $4.4 billion or $4.5 billion. Some people see his wealth as low as $2.9 billion. So uh, 18 times bigger Bloomberg is. Battle of the Billionaires goes to Bloomberg. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Got a big event coming up. Income and Retirement Planning Seminar in Palo Alto. Sign up for it Thursday evening, 639 at robblackshow.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.